Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Jackie Oatley and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. It was a weekend full of great goals from Jack Wilshire's superb team effort against Norwich. The combination of skill, uh, speed of reaction, cool in front of goal. I think this goal will travel a lot, we will be seen by many people. To Patim Kasami's piece of individual brilliance at Selhurst Park. I saw Sasha having the ball and I saw I could run in the space and then it came perfect on my chest and I took it direct with my right foot. It was an unbelievable goal and I'm very pleased. Meanwhile, the meteoric rise of Andros Townsend continues. Yeah, it's been one of the best few weeks of my life and the main thing for me now is not to get carried away, to keep my feet on the ground and keep putting in performances when I get the chance for Spurs. And Steven Gerrard becomes the latest member of a very exclusive club. To get his 100th goal, an incredible player and all the superlatives that's talked about him and, and I'm fortunate enough that I get to know him as a man and as a captain he's been brilliant. I'm joined by former Everton and Norwich defender Matt Jackson as we reflect on another fascinating weekend of action. We speak exclusively to Fulham midfielder Steve Sidwell after their superb win at Crystal Palace. Southampton legend Matt Letissier joins us to discuss the Saints march up the table. Plus we talk to the Newcastle super scout who discovered Gaza. Hello and welcome back to the official Barclays Premier League podcast and hello to Matt. Hello. Some absolutely stunning goals over the weekend. Are you able to pick one out as your favourite? I just think from a technical point of view, Kasami's was so special. You know, it combines all the elements that makes the best pros the best pros, basically. You could give your average man in the street the rest of his life to complete that sort of skill and, and they would never be able to pull it off. So you've gone for that goal over the famous team goal of Jack Wilshire. Yeah, because it's the individual brilliance that sets players apart. That's my choice. They are two contrasting goals, but no, for me, that was absolutely outstanding. Controversial. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively exclusively to Southampton legend Matt Letissier, as well as Fulham midfielder Steve Sidwell. He scored a pretty decent goal himself, by the way. Well, we'll begin at the Emirates Stadium, where Arsenal continued their superb recent form with a comprehensive 4-1 win over Norwich to maintain their position at the top of the table. It's 12 games unbeaten in all competitions for Arsene Wenger's men. What have you made of them? Very good. Ozil really transformed them. And I think it was a transfer that almost forced upon Arsene Wenger. And he's certainly reaping the rewards from it. Obviously, the likes of Ramsey coming to the fore now as well helps a lot. And the fact that they're in a league that they suddenly look competitive in will help them as well. Manchester United struggling, Manchester City being misfiring. So that combined with Arsenal's resurgence also gives them a real chance to be competitive at the top of that table. Well, to discuss Saturday's match in more detail, I'm pleased to say we're joined on the line now by the former Arsenal centre-back, Martin Keown. Thanks for joining us, Martin. A pleasure. Well, we have to start by talking about that ridiculously impressive goal scored by Jack Wilshire, a team goal, of course. I mean, have you ever seen a, a better team goal than that? Well, I was actually, I was in the stand behind the goal, unusually so, and it was just mesmerising. Unbelievable, the number of passes that took place. and it, Everyone was just stunned that it ended up in the back of the net. I think from Benga's point of view, it was a dream goal for him because he enjoys those small, short, intricate passes. And I was pleased for Jack as well, having not played for England. He played very well in the match and uh, it was just amazing to see the goal go in the back of the net. Santi Cathola is another player who made an impact. He's back in the team after injury. And what an attacking trio that is with Ozil as well and Giroud, who's playing well this season. What have you made of them? And Rosicki also coming off the bench. Cazola I didn't think was 100% fit. He's just come back from a, a difficult injury. It's just interesting to see how these guys, with Ozil coming in, I think he's actually challenged the group to match his, his quality. And they've got players running from deep. There was a lot of concern. 
concern about Giroud being a lone striker. What I like about him is he's, particularly with the Jack Wilshire goal, he's now finding his teammates. You can trust him. You play it into him and he works well. He links well now. Of course, he's scoring his goals. But there's so many options in, in that Arsenal midfield. And the one player I almost feel sorry for is not getting a mention is Flamini. He's the, the night watchman of the team. He's the defensive brain, really. Everybody can go and party. They can go and weave those pretty patterns. But he sits in front of the defence and marshals the team. And when he went off against Norwich, I was, I was a bit concerned for a time. But then on comes Ramsey. And he, above all everyone else, has been... The difference from last season to this is truly amazing. Martin, do you think Ozil coming in will lead to a sea change in almost the transfer policy of the club? Do you think he might have been surprised, Arsene, by how much impact that he's had? Yeah, I think so. I think it underlines now the, the newfound confidence of the manager as well with his ability to go after a player, play that amount of money and for it to work. It's now seeming, Matt, that he, he's actually cheap. It's really lifted every member of staff. It's a completely different atmosphere now around the football club. But there's a belief that why not? Why can't they go and win it? Long way to go. I get nervous when they're these pats on the back for the club because they should ignore that until such times as they win something. But you have to say, I've not felt this confident for a number of years about Arsenal. And what about Aaron Ramsey? We mentioned him briefly, a Welshman this season on fire. Nine goals in all competitions for Arsenal. Another two as well for Wales. And he's been absolutely delighted with the Gunners' start to the season. We've come out of the blocks, uh, especially after the first game, which was a, a big upset for us. And uh, we've started off really well and bounced back since then. And, you know, there's, the confidence is high. Everyone's uh, playing uh, with a smile on their faces and everyone's enjoying themselves. So I thoroughly enjoyed it, being out there in front of uh, our home fans and going to win like that and going back to the top of the league. Martin, why do you think Aaron Ramsey's come so good this season? Well, I believe now that he, he's taking real responsibility for the, for the team. You know, he came off the bench on Saturday. You saw that in his performance. Great flicks, great tricks, but they weren't, they're not showboating. They're doing what's demanded at the time. You know, shoot from distance. I mean, the composure for that finish, that goal he scored at the weekend was there in that one caption was, was the development. Things are coming off for him. I thought he was trying too hard last year. He's now simplified his game. He's making really good decisions and he's looking almost like the new Fabregas. Martin Keown, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So, Matt, can Arsenal finally win a trophy after eight years? I think the main thing for an Arsenal fan perspective is the fact that suddenly you feel like there has been a change at the club. They're now prepared to spend money, now prepared to try and fight with the bigger teams for the best players and get themselves back up to being one of the biggest teams in the country, which they certainly are in stature, but haven't been on the pitch in recent years. As for Norwich, your former club, defeat for them meant that Chris Hutton's team have now lost four of their last five league games. They stay in the bottom three. Are you seriously worried about them? A little bit, yes. It's difficult because... They are never going to be a team that it's going to be easy for in the Barclays Premier League. The finances have to be carefully controlled. Where they've come from in previous years means it's difficult to be competitive. And it's always tough. You know, you're playing in the top flight. It's always going to be difficult for you. If you're under pressure and the fixtures go against you, the fixtures list has been really tough as well. It's been hard for Chris Hutton and the boys there. But it's not as though they're not competing, is it? Arsene Wenger admitted that Norwich dominated the middle third of the game. Absolutely. And I think Chris himself comes out and says that, you know, they have a choice at half time. You shut up shop, you lose 2-1, you're home, you feel you haven't been competitive. Or you try and be bold and take something from the game. But then you walk away with a 4-1 defeat. Everyone's moaning at you and nobody maybe looks into the bigger picture of what you were trying to achieve.
Elsewhere on Saturday, Chelsea also saw off Cardiff by four goals to one to stay within two points of Arsenal in second place. And it wasn't exactly plain sailing for Jose Mourinho's men. After going a goal down in not so much controversial circumstances, but it wasn't a great goal from a Chelsea point of view. No, it would have given Jose Mourinho a scare and it's not something he would like. You know, he prides himself on those defensive performances and keeping things tight. So Luis's mistake is poor. It's something that he has in his locker. He's an outstanding player and he's got great qualities, but you do feel at times that he has that opportunity to present the opposition with uh, the occasional chance. Would you play him at centre-half? I mean, I would do because I think he fits well into the team and in a team that generally is on top and generally attacking, I think the positives that he brings far outweigh the negatives. There was no doubt as to what the turning point of the game was. Chelsea's 33rd minute equaliser, eventually scored by Edin Hazard, after a controversial challenge from Samuel Eto'o on goalkeeper David Marshall. Let's get Cardiff manager Malky Mackay's verdict on the incident. Our goalkeeper bounced the ball he saw Eto standing next to him and he bounced the ball I asked referee for clarification on what they thought happened at the first goal him and the linesman thought that the goalkeeper dropped the ball so I said well if he bounces it and they said immediately if he bounced it it's a foul little things are, change games massively especially when you're playing against a, such a top team as Chelsea Thoughts on that Matt? The one thing I would say is that if you're the goalkeeper Eto is clearly in his eye line whether it's just pure instinct but why bounce the ball? Why even give the opportunity to get yourself into that sort of situation. But for me, it's a huge point in the game. It's a big mistake from the officials. They're paid to get these things right. There's enough of them to see all of these incidents. They should see it. They should get it right. And who knows what the day could have been otherwise. One all it was at half-time. Then the goals from Eto, his first in the Barclays Premier League, as well as Oscar, that wasn't a bad one, and another from Azard sealed the three points. Well, let's hear from the midfielder Frank Lampard now. He says the mood in the squad is as good as it's ever been. We've got a big squad here, so I think it's important that we, you know, we try and stay fresh. Manager changes it sometimes. I think we all go away. And if you get a positive result internationally, which a lot of us did, you can bring that back with you. So I think the main thing is focus and concentration. It's been 10 days where we all go off in different directions. I think it's quite good to be together, to rest, to eat together. We have some meetings about the game. And um, it's all about spirit and keeping, keeping the group tight. And I think we've done that and we showed it in our performance. Spirit, something that Jose Mourinho is quite famous for engendering amongst his players. Well, they absolutely love him, don't they? And you do feel that as a manager, that's probably the biggest thing that you can get into a squad. The fact that they may not like all of your decisions, but they certainly respect them. And then they all go and try really hard for each other. A quick word on Mourinho himself. He was sent to the stands in the second half and he ended up sitting next to a fan who tweeted a picture such as modern technology these days. He's such a character and it? it's great that he almost has the last laugh having been sent off. He will always make the most of any opportunity and he did again there. Petr Cech was making his 300th Barclays Premier League appearance for Chelsea, but he couldn't keep what would have been his 146th clean sheet. As for Cardiff, it was their third defeat in four matches and leaves them just a point above the relegation zone. How do you see them ending up this season? Well, I think the situation with Malky is going to have an awful lot to do with it. It's been a really testing last fortnight for them. He and his staff dealt with it brilliantly well. They've now lost their head of recruitment ahead of what will be a very pivotal January for them. That doesn't help any club at all either. So I think that situation has to be resolved properly. I think they will always be competitive because the players like playing for Melky. So I think that gives you a start. But for any team that comes up from the Championship, it's always going to be difficult. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to Southampton legend Matt Letizier and we'll be hearing from David Moyes, Micah Richards and Andros Townsend. What a week he's had. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Jackie Oatley.
To Old Trafford next, where Southampton scored a late equaliser to deny Manchester United a precious three points and leave the champions eight points behind the leaders' arsenal after just eight games. Well, the Saints' hero in that match was Adam Lallana, who back-kneed Dejan Lovren's late header over the line. Great credit to the lads and um, no, it's a great result, obviously, coming to Old Trafford and getting a point. And we rode our luck at times, uh, they hit the woodwork and Arthur made a couple of good saves, but we could have nicked it at the end and taken all three. So we're building great momentum and we'll take it into, into next week's game at Fulham, um, but great credit to the lads, the team, the fans coming all this way and we'll go back to a point. Well that was the Saints captain Adam Lallana and I'm delighted to say we're joined now by another former Saints captain, Southampton legend Matt Letissier. Thanks for joining us Matt. Oh no problem at all, good to talk to you. Just how good is this Southampton team at the moment? Um, it's been a pretty impressive start. The two standout results are obviously the draw at Old Trafford and the, and the win at Anfield. You know, we've had a couple of games at home where we were maybe expected to win against Sunderland and West Ham, which we didn't take full points from. So it just seems at the moment our style of play is probably suited better than playing away from home or playing against the big sides that we're not expected to beat. We kind of struggle a little bit when we're expected to take the game to a team at home at the moment. That's the only downside, but it's been a fantastic start. Hopefully we can keep it going. One of the stars of the start of the season has been Adam Lallana, who we heard from just now. He's come through the academy. Just how good a player is he? Adam's a, an excellent player. He's, the, he's kind of the player down the years when I when I go to St Mary's. He's the one that I go to watch. Really, he's the one I pay money to watch. A class above, you know. Especially when we were we were in League One, he stayed with the club. I'm sure he had opportunities to move on, but it was great that he chose to stay down here and help get us back into the Championship and then the Premier League. And I was pleased that he's got off the mark with a couple of goals. I know he's, he's probably nicked that one off Dejan at the, at the weekend, but the, the finish against Swansea was pretty good. And uh, He was a, a very regular goal scorer in the League One and Championship. Probably didn't get as many as he would have liked last season, so it was good to see him get a couple early on this year. Matt, do you get a, a feeling that the, the start changes the club's plans for the season at all? Obviously, they may have looked and thought they have one particular plan, one pathway that they want to go down, targets to achieve. Do you think by being up in the upper echelons now, they might look towards their transfer policy for January with a bit of a change in mind? I think, Matt, the uh, the projection for the season was actually the, the target set for the season were actually quite high. Behind the scenes, they'd spent quite a lot of money and, and I think that they were expecting to be challenged in the top half of the table. I predicted a ninth place finish at the start of the season because I thought they did have enough about them to get into the top half. They've exceeded those expectations at the moment and they're mixing it pretty well with the big boys at the moment. So from that point of view, I think that they've spent a lot of money in the summer. I'm not sure how much they've got left in January if they want to go and strengthen and kick on and maybe push for a, for a European place but it's fantastic as the Southampton supporters to sit and look at the league table right now. There was a bit of negativity when Maurizio Pochettino got the job bearing in mind people were pretty sad to see Nigel Adkins go wondering what he'd really done to deserve the sack but what has Pochettino done to this side do you think to make them so hard to beat? Uh, I think obviously it was a, a massive surprise when Nigel got sacked given what he'd done for the club two promotions two seasons we were outside the bottom three to this day I'll, I'll still say it was an incredibly harsh sacking. Having said that, I thought the fans were excellent in the way they went about backing the new manager. There was never any question that the fans wouldn't have got behind the new manager. And that's made a difference as well. You know, it gives the club a, an extra special feel to it. Going back to the fantastic academy at Southampton, which is producing all these good youngsters, looking back to your day, did you have to clean boots and do other jobs when you were an <laughs> apprentice? Of course, yeah. I was quite sad when that all stopped. It gives kids a good grounding in the game. I think it keeps their feet on the ground and keeps them hungry, gives them something to work towards because they know they've got to do that kind of stuff and earn the right to get into the first team changing room. Uh, but yeah, certainly uh, cleaning the boots, making sure the uh, the change rooms were all tidy. We had to clean the bath, the showers and all the jobs that needed doing. It was the responsibility of the apprentices on £26 a week. So happy days they were. 
Whose boots did you clean out of interest? I cleaned David Armstrong's boots and uh, Joe Jordan. That's how old I am, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're just giving it away there. But there were former England international and Scotland international, not bad players to clean the boots off. Just finally, Matt, on a weekend where we've seen some great goals, we've got a Twitter question for you from at Last77Pulger. Asks, you scored lots of great goals. Which one was your favourite? My personal favourite was a goal I scored at Blackburn against my old teammate Tim Flowers from about uh, 35 yards up at Ewood Park. So uh, that would be the one that sticks out for me. We only see that about every week on television <laughs> these days. So we don't forget that one either. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Matt Letizier. Good to talk to you. Well, Matt Jackson, whose boots did you clean, if anybody's? Well, I was quite fortunate in the fact that I stayed at school rather than doing a YTS scheme and did A-levels. So I didn't actually specifically have to clean somebody's boots. I just helped out on the days that I went in. So I missed out on that side of things, but also got great help leading actually to my full debut against Matt Letizia, where I marked him directly at Kenilworth Road for Luton. We had Steve Williams, the old Arsenal and England midfielder, playing on our reserves because he had a bit of a falling out with the management. But it was brilliant for us as young players coming through to have that sort of character in the reserves at Luton, who were a top flight team at the time. So, no, good times. And I, and I agree with Matthew in the fact that the education you get, that respect that goes into players, you know, is something that really has to be kept in the game throughout now. Going back to your debut, did you keep him nice and quiet? Yeah, I think he only scored four or something like that. So <laughs> none of which I was particularly responsible for. But I do remember walking off with cramp with both calves completely locked after about 85 minutes walking like a penguin which was quite comical for everyone else (laughs) well turning our attention to Manchester United they've now recorded just two wins in seven matches and their manager David Moyes knows they have to do better disappointing we didn't take all three points we had a few chances to sort of get it wrapped up and then obviously to lose a goal near enough in the last minute or two of my corner kick but Southampton had knocked on the door they had one or two opportunities but we had good chances to wrap the game up well I've been looking to get the consistency every week you know I'm trying to take one game on to the next and, and build on it but at the moment that seemed to be a struggle for us so all you can ever do is try and win the next game and that's what we'll try and do. Can you work out why United are struggling by their usually high standards at the moment? Yes, three words Sir Alex Ferguson obviously makes a huge difference to the whole mindset of the place, the whole mindset of people going to play against them and the fact that they haven't started very well does have a slight downward spiral as well in that players are only humans and the best players that they have there will be affected a little bit by confidence. So the Fergie factor coming into play for you. Well, on the positive side, Rooney, Van Persie, Yanazai look pretty dangerous in that match. They're top players. That pedigree is not going to go away. But that pedigree generally gets mixed with good confidence and they haven't got that at the moment. That's been a slight difference. I think there's a bit of an imbalance in the midfield, which is getting highlighted at times as well. And they are in a period of transition. All teams have to go through it at some point. You wonder how different it might have been had they managed to sign Cesc Fabregas in the summer. But the positive for them there is that Yanazai, the youngster, has signed a lucrative five-year deal. Next up for them is Stoke City at home. The pressure straight back on them in that next game. Well, it is. Mark Hughes taking the team back there as well, obviously with a big name. It's not easy. There aren't easy games at all. That's what makes the Barclays Premier League so competitive, so attractive around the world because you get this sort of tie and the pressure heaped on Manchester United. And actually, I think everybody quite likes Manchester United being under a bit of pressure all of a sudden. To United's neighbours, Manchester City next, who recorded their first away win of the season on Saturday evening, running out 3-1 winners at West Ham. Sergio Aguero, once again, the inspiration with a brace. One of them a header, for goodness sake. Smallest player on the pitch, Aguero's first header for City. 
he looks to be coming back into really good form. I think a player that wants to play as many games as he can do, obviously you know, will be forever etched in the memory for his goal at the end of the season where they win the title, but just an amazing transformation in the team again. They've wobbled, you know, they've had some poor results, but they seem to be having this ability to go and win this sort of game, which it's not easy to go to West Ham and get anything. And they look pretty comfortable. They had some problems defensively with the likes of Vincent Company out injured. And as a former defender yourself, how do you rate them defensively? When they're all fit, it's good. I think like any team, you have stability that comes from having a unit that plays together most of the time. Once you have a big character in it, and he's an outstanding player as well in company, once you have them missing from the team, it's going to affect any team. You know, they are the best players in the world in many instances. You are going to miss them if they're not playing. And Pellegrini changed his entire back four for that match. One of the new members of the back four was right back Micah Richards, making his first league start of the season. In the past, we've played well. We've not got the three points. Today, we played well and got the three points. A bit nervy when we went to 2-1, uh, but we got there in the end, so we're happy. I don't think we uh, deserve to concede. Obviously, West Ham was uh, impressing us, but I thought we defended well today. But uh, I thought um, Silva and uh, Aguero was outstanding today. It's going to be a tough, tough season, but um, it's I think games like this is where it's going to be the difference. Pellegrini said after the game as well just how important it was that they got that first away league victory of the season and then out to fourth in the table. And they've actually been helped by having a few wobbles themselves but the fact that everybody else has too so it's kept them right in the mix and they'll have felt that they will only get better from this point. I'm sure they'll be taking that as a positive. Well Sergio Aguero was on Twitter after the game saying we had to get the away curse dispelled eventually. Happy about the goals and the win. Come on City. I didn't realise his English was quite that good. It dispelled the curse. Phenomenal. Well as for West Ham, this was a third home defeat in the league this season and leaves them just a point above the bottom three. Manager Sam Allardyce had no real complaints about the result. Manchester City were very, very good and because they were so good we couldn't get anywhere near our best and I think that um, it was only when the, the fear left us because I thought that we played with a lot of fear and too much respect in the first half, which I didn't actually expect today, but actually that's what happened. Manchester City's goals were given rather than earned. And in the end, we paid the price for that, even though we gave a spirited fight back when we got to 2-1. Showed what we could do for a period of time, make Manchester City's defence look a little bit shaky, but unfortunately, far too late. Well, Sam again played without a recognised number nine, with Andy Carroll still out injured, possibly only until next month. Chose not to bring new signing Colton Cole off the bench. How much longer can they go on like this? Not that much longer, because results dictate you have to keep changing things, you have to keep trying things. The Colton Cole situation probably sums up where they are. Never an ideal situation situation to have to bring someone back in those circumstances once you've made your decision and moved on very difficult to go back again in Sam's eyes probably January can't come quickly enough get some money spent and they're in one of those situations now where the next two three games is going to be really critical for them the problem they had of course was with the financial fair play they've got the money to spend but they're not allowed to because of the wage bill so it really has hamstrung him and talking of which they really need the injured Andy Carroll back just as quickly as possible a place above West Ham in 13th Aston Villa who like the Hammers lost their third home game of the season at the weekend, going down 2-0 to a well-organised Spurs side. And the visitors' star man was once again Andros Townsend. He rounded off quite a fortnight with another impressive performance. In the first half, I had no space at all. Every time I was picking up, there was a couple of people around me and I ended up turning over the ball a couple of times. But in the second half, they had to go for it a bit and the game opened up and that's when I'm at my best, counter-attacks. And I think I was happy with my second half performance in the end. I think the main thing today was getting back to winning ways after the result against West Ham. I think the second half performance showed what we're all about. We stuck in and we got the three points.
an extraordinary couple of weeks it's been for that young man. Well, it's been brilliant for him. Quite rightly, he's getting many plaudits because he's been outstanding. Unfortunately for him, everyone now knows how he plays and will be trying to rectify that. So he's going to have to continue to recreate himself. He's got great ability. He's been a, a real find for Spurs. Defence, once again, very solid for Tottenham. They've only conceded one away goal all season so far. AVB's put them together very well, got them well prepared. They've had one or two surprises. Obviously, the West Ham result will have shocked them a little bit. But that happens sometimes and it's how you respond and they've responded well. Well, you're a boyhood Aston Villa supporter, Matt. I'm sure you watch them very, very closely. Why do you think they're struggling at Villa Park, which is, frankly, one of the best grounds in the Barclays Premier League? I think there's a main point being expectation because the Villa fans, quite rightly, view them as a big club, have this expectation that they want their side to play free-flowing, attacking football. When you get to Villa Park and you have to play that way, it might not be the best suited for you. So they expect them to win every game at home. It's not that easy. And if you're going to be constantly on the attack, trying to do this for the supporters, you're actually sometimes better to set up for sitting in away from home and counter-attacking. Benteke, obviously, he needs to play for them to be successful. I'd miss one or two games, but he's the key to it all. You never know the secret. That onus to go and win games sometimes works against teams when they're playing at home. Christian Benteke returning from injury in time for the last 30 minutes of that game. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to Fulham midfielder Steve Sidwell, and we'll be hearing from Gus Poyet, Stephen Pienaar and Jonathan de Guzman. But it's time now for our half-time tweets. Arsene Wenger says it's one of the best goals he's ever seen. Jack Wilshere was quick to praise his teammates via Twitter. Thank you, Olivier Giroud, for the assist. Great flick and some decent football was played today, thanks to the fans as well. Arsenal's local rival Spurs were also celebrating victory with Andros Townsend scoring his first league goal for Spurs. Loving hearing the fans sing my name for the first time. Nothing better. Come on, you Spurs. Also scoring for the first time for his club was Newcastle's Paul Dummett. What a performance from us today, he says, and the proudest moment of my career so far. Absolutely buzzing. He is a Geordie boy after all. Well, yet another first league goal came in West London with Cameroonian Samuel Eto'o striking for Chelsea. I dedicate my first goal to all of you. It was even more memorable because it was at home. Thank you very much for the support. But there was one even happier man at Stamford Bridge. After Jose Mourinho was sent to the stands during the win over Cardiff, Chelsea supporter Sean Buxton tweeted, OMG, Mourinho is sitting next to me. Probably the last thing he was expecting on a Saturday afternoon, you'd think. Well, remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy with a Y on Twitter. Hashtag YouFootball. I'm here with Matt Jackson as we continue to look back at all the weekend's top flight action. To the Liberty Stadium next, where it was a harsh start to life as a Barclays Premier League manager for Gus Poyet, with his new Sunderland side going down 4-0 to a rampant Swansea City. I learned a lot today. I learned a lot from individual players, from uh, situations, from reactions, and uh, I'm sure I can put that, that right you know, in certain aspects and we need to improve. At halftime, I thought, well, maybe we're going to give in a, a nice way back. But it wasn't to be. I mean, very disappointing with the, with the second half. You know, you need to feel sad for the supporters as well because it's going to be a long way back on. Well, it's the worst start by any Barclays Premier League team in the history of the competition. Can you see them staying up ultimately? Absolutely odds against at this point. I think the problem with this sort of scoreline is had you given Gus Poyet the choice of a fixture, he might just have picked Swansea because they're going to play attractive football, you know that. But maybe he'd have thought, if I get the spirit going, I forget us working really hard. We can go there and get a positive result by annulling that flair that Swansea have. As it is, they've ended up getting hammered. They look worse than ever. It's a big problem for him now. 
Well, Carlos Cuellar, the defenders, tweeted, I know it's a difficult time, thanks to all the fans for their support in the game. Well, the next fixture is Newcastle United at home, one of the biggest games of the Barclays Premier League season for them. But could that actually be a positive for them? Well, it was a positive last season when Paolo Di Canio ends up getting a result in the fixture. There's going to be a huge pressure on them. Obviously, they're at home. That expectation that we talk about, it's a huge game anyway in the history of football. If they win it, it's come at a great time. If they lose it, it's come at a horrific time for them. As for Swansea, this was their first home league win since March and moves them up to 11th place. One of the goal scorers, the Canadian-born Holland international Jonathan de Guzman, was pleased with how they picked up after the break. Um, I thought the uh, first half was a bit sloppy in the passing and um, they tried to get the counter-attack on us. I think it was 0 in the first half. And I think uh, in the second half, we just put the tempo up a bit more and uh, we got our goals from there. It's just a matter of uh, scoring our first goal and uh, getting the first goal of the, of the game. And, you know, with the confidence that we have on the team and the, the creative players that we have, that uh, it was just easy from there. Three goals in seven minutes really blew Sunderland away and that looked a lot more like the Swansea that we saw last season. It was always going to be difficult for them and they've been excellent in the way that they've played. I think they've continued to try and play in, in the same way. There was obviously one or two issues over the management, various things that were going on through the summer. They seem to have overcome that. Players seem very settled and very happy. You know, they look a good Barclays Premier League team. Yes, the manager Michael Aldrup saying that he was approached by an intermediary about his uh, availability potentially for the Chelsea job before Mourinho got it. Well, Wilfred Bonny scored a welcome goal from the penalty spot for them. Extraordinary to think that it's their first penalty they've been awarded for 56 Barclays Premier League games. Even more surprising given the, the kind of attacking players they've got with the pace of the likes of Nathan Dyer. That's exactly the reason and you think the creative opportunities that come their way. But it might also be one for the statisticians to point to slightly bigger clubs maybe getting more decisions. Oh, controversial from Matt Jackson. Moving on, fighting it out for survival along with Sunderland. A Crystal Palace and Fulham who came head-to-head at Selhurst Park on Monday night. Palace took an early lead, but then a couple of wonder strikes from Patim Kasami and Steve Sidwell inspired Fulham to an emphatic 4-1 win. And I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by one of those goal scorers, Steve Sidwell. Thanks for joining us, Steve. No problem at all. We only really like to have people on this show who've scored wonder goals in the previous uh-huh. 24 hours or so. <laughs> Let's, let's talk about your goal first before we get on to Kasami's. Is it one of your better ones or have you scored loads of them like that? I'll be honest with you, I've actually scored a few like it. It's up there with, with the best of them, but to be honest with you, there's a top five and that comes pretty much towards the uh, the number four or five spot, if I'm honest. Are you serious? Yes, I am, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, well, no, I've got to be honest with you, Jack, that's definitely the best goal I've ever scored but you, you reckon only top four or five no I've, I've, I've scored some belters so uh, if you want a DVD I'll send you a copy you're not allowed <laughs> to count ones in your back garden though Steve that's only no no I'm not, even, I'm not including that training or pre-season friendlies unfortunately it's only games that count okay well have you then in all honesty Stephen scored a goal like Kasami's I've not scored a goal like Kasami's and for me it's the best goal that I've actually seen live let alone playing I mean I've been fortunate enough to be at stadiums and seen some cracking strikes and individual goals but that for me was the pick of the bunch. Your manager, Martin Yole, described it afterwards as better than that particularly famous one from Van Basten. What do you reckon to that? For me, it's definitely up there as well. I mean, the whole package of the goal itself, he's obviously sprinting at full speed towards the ball and then to control a football at that speed as well and then take it in your stride and on the volley on your weaker side at that angle and to put it over the keeper was just phenomenal. I mean, he said before he won't score another goal like that. I don't think we'll probably see another goal like that for a long time to come and it was worthy of us to get back in the game. Steve, leading into the game, how much pressure did you feel amongst the players? You're looking and thinking, well, we should probably win the game, but, and there's always that but, isn't there? Did you feel there was that pressure amongst the squad? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we put ourselves under pressure, to be honest with you. Uh, we come off, obviously, two weeks ago before international break with a, a great result at home against Stoke. And we knew that if we could build on that with back-to-back wins, it would shoot us up the table. So we set our stall out early to make sure that we actually didn't lose the game, whatever the circumstances were. Unfortunately, we went a goal down, which, which was going to make it harder for us. But we dug deep, as we do. And we've done that over the year, to be to be honest with you. When we've had to put ourselves under pressure to get results, we don't last year a few times. I remember Newcastle at home, QPR at home, Tottenham away. There was games where we had to go and win, and we've done that. We produced the goods. I was at your game against Stoke when you probably admit, as your manager did, that they were the better side for large periods in that game. Maybe a little bit unlucky with a penalty decision or two, but you won that game crucially. Did that do something for you mentally and give you some added belief? Yeah, of course. I mean, goals change games and when you win games, it boosts confidence and it was vital for that before the international break because if we wouldn't have got a result the two weeks after that when players are away on international duty, it would have been a a pretty low camp. So it was quite a bubbly place. It was a great spirit to go into a a Palace game where we, you know, as you say, you can't take it for granted that you're going to get three points there. But we was pretty confident if we stuck to our game plan that we'd come away with three points. And now we go to a, a tough Southampton on the weekend to try and keep that run going. Where do you think realistically this squad should be placed in the Barclays Premier League? Do you feel maybe you could push on towards a top 10 finish or is that asking a lot? No, I think it's, it's it's very hard to call that. It's a good question because I think this year is probably going to be one of the most competitive leagues in recent histories. I mean, if you look at it just so far, the opening seven, eight games, you've got teams beating the top boys and where beforehand there was a big gulf in the top four to six teams to the rest of the, the league. I think that's closed now. I think a mid-table finish would be ideal for us. And if we can build on that, then fantastic. Well, you'd like to build on that away at Southampton, but that won't be very easy, will it, given the the start they've had to the season? What have you made of them? I've been very impressed. I've watched them a lot last season. I like the way they played football last year. They've gone about their business well in, in, in the summer and they've fought fantastic. So, uh, so far this season, they're looking great, playing some great football. Obviously, it was a lot of scrutiny, wasn't it, when uh, they changed managers at that period last time. But obviously, it's, it's proved its weight in goal at the moment. So, it's going to be a very tough game. But as I say, we're full of confidence and we're going to go there with the belief that we can come away with some points. Well, Steve Sidwell, good luck and thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Well, as for Palace, Matt, it was their fifth defeat in a row. Leaves them second from bottom and five points from safety. They changed a lot of personnel in the summer. And the manager in Holloway has admitted that perhaps he brought in too many players and it's really affected the team spirit. It's the hardest thing that newly promoted teams have is how to spend their money. Very often they can't spend it. It was a problem Malcolm McCarr was having at Cardiff. It was tough to get deals done because players don't look on you as an attractive option. And as he's now finding out, if you bring too many in, that mix is wrong and it suffers on the pitch as well. Is that something they can get back quickly, though? I mean, what do they do? Go out paintballing, <laughs> get to know each other a bit better, go to the pub together? What do they do? Well, Ian Holloway's as good as anyone in identifying a spirit throughout a, a squad. He's great in his own mind. He's great with the energy that he gives to a squad. But ultimately, you need players who can be competitive and they're a side that finish fifth in the championship it's a big ask to go and ask to be competitive in the Barclays Premier League all of a sudden despite spending you know a considerable amount of money because of the pedigree of the teams around you before the match the chairman Steve Parrish was saying how Ian Holloway was absolutely the right man for the club at this time could that 4-1 defeat have perhaps changed his mind afterwards they had an hour-long meeting I don't think it will have changed his mind in the fact that he knows Ian Holloway's positive aspects but I think any team and any owner that has a team that's in the bottom three knowing the reward 
rewards that Barclays Premier League brings you, then it puts a pressure on the situation. What you have to do is look and think who, if anyone, can improve this situation. There'll be the discussions. Palace are where the majority of people in football would expect them to be at the moment. The question is, are the three teams worse than them this season? Well, next to St James's Park, where Liverpool twice came from a goal behind to draw 2-2 with 10-man Newcastle. Stephen Gerrard scored the visitors' first goal from the penalty spot, his 100th Barclays Premier League goal. We'll talk more about that match in a moment, Matt. But first of all, a word on Gerrard's century of league strikes. What a servant he's been to Liverpool. Yeah, he's been absolutely outstanding and a phenomenal professional. His attitude to the club, to playing the game has never wavered, to his country as well. Just a top professional. You have to listen out to our Twitter quiz question relating to Steven Gerrard and his goals. He, by the way, is the 13th player to score 100 or more Barclays Premier League goals for a single club. So the draw moves Liverpool below Arsenal and Chelsea into third spot, whilst it takes Newcastle up to the top half of the table. We'll hear from Brendan Rodgers in a moment. But first, the Magpies boss, Alan Pardew. That first period was a real great advertisement for the Barclays Premier League. Liverpool were great side and we matched them and I didn't think there was a lot in it we got the goal and that bode really well I thought for a really interesting game we arrived in good positions in the second half and had opportunities but just didn't quite make the make the breakthrough so um, it's a bit of a little bit of frustration in terms of not getting the three points but on the back of an international break and with 13 players away and some of them not coming back to Thursday night to come away to to St James's Park is never never an easy place to come how much could that have affected Liverpool, bearing in mind they had so many players away? Newcastle had some as well. It affects you a lot. You don't know what state they're going to come back in. The travelling does take it out of players. It's difficult to work on your team formations. It's difficult to get the information to the players while they're away. So he's not making excuses. It is a big factor. Well, Johan Kabay with another 30-yarder. Eight, in fact, of his 12 Barclays Premier League goals have come from outside the box. How key was it that they held on to him? Huge, but more so the fact that they haven't kept hold of him and he's sulking he's there very much playing for the team and, and he's flying along his goals return is absolutely outstanding the quality of the goals that he scores is outstanding but most importantly having him in the right frame of mind actually you have to give credit to Newcastle and to the management team for managing to do that it was an enthralling match and as part of the Barclays UR football initiative we're able to send lifelong Newcastle fan and football scout Brian Clark to St James's Park at the weekend well Brian's discovered a wealth of talent on behalf of Newcastle in his coaching position at a local football club Walker Centre and in four decades, the 72-year-old has unearthed 22 Barclays Premier League players, including Robbie Elliott, Lee Clark, the Amiobi brothers, and even a certain Paul Gascoigne. Hello, Brian. Hi. You're footballing, you you're footballing royalty to us, let me tell you, discovering Gaza. Well, let's start talking about Saturday's match. A, a fantastic game. How much did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. But I've got to say, well done, manager, because what happened, he stuck to his guns, he changed the formation around. I was a bit puzzled myself, sitting watching Ben Arthur front. But it worked. For me, was a man of match, was Tayori. You know, he was back to his best form and all. So they had your two midfield players playing well. Then you had the Jory Laddie coming up and scoring. They were well, scoring the equaliser for it. And it was a very, very good goal. I thought the game on Sunday was absolutely marvellous because everybody went and anybody telling me that they expected a win, they would be telling lies because then we got two fantastic set of forwards, you know, in the two S's of this year, Suarez and Daniel Surridge, you know, they're, they're absolutely brilliant kids. So I thought we said, well, here, you know, we're going to have a rough raid here. I was praying it wasn't going to be a last year score lead, but it wasn't. In, in the first 25 minutes, I thought we said, hang on, what's happening here? What's happening? We are holding the ball, we are passing the ball, then they're kind of getting me away. There wasn't a Jordy fierce, went away sad. I think they all had a, a bit smile on their face. 
it's a football nation up here and we want them to win. Looking specifically back to Paul Gascoigne, when you first saw him play, did he always stand out immediately? Sure, I'll tell you the story on Paul. Well, what happened with Paul, I was, it was a lad called Brian Watson. Brian's no longer with it. He, he was our youth officer. I was, had, had my own team down at Walls End Boys Club. My game was brained off. So Brian, he said it was um, pretty good cost and watch a lad called Keith Spraggan play. And I said, oh, I'll go and cross and watch him for you. Then it uh, was a little bit for you, a little chubby checker. He was passing the ball, a five-yard ball was the same as a 20-yard ball. He was hitting the target every time, you know, and I thought, so hang on. He was outstanding. He did stand in my eyes. He stood out. Obviously, he reminds me of a Brazilian where he's passing the ball and kicking the ball and moving the ball around. Well, the following week went by, all of a sudden, he was going to sign for Middlesbrough on the Thursday, I'm going to believe, then it was like, who could get him with a school? Because the school wanted to hire Paul out. They didn't want him in there. And that's how Gaza went to Newcastle League. But I honestly think there is a lot of good footballers out there. You can still find that player. I'm not going to say players are there all the time, but I've got my eyes on about three or four young under-14s and under-15s what can be footballers. I honestly think they've got a good future in the game coming up. What are the main attributes you look for in those young players? What do I look for? Well, I look for, obviously, I look for the natural, what God's give them, skill. You know, the, the, the touch of the ball, the bring the ball in, the control of the ball, and, and to move the ball and pass it, I guess, with Paul. But then you've got to see it, you've got to look there. And in modern, modern day football, and it's a shame at some things, but again, it's there to be seen. You've got to look for the athlete. The football world has changed that much, as well as having skills. You've got to have the athlete to get up and down the pitch. But I've got to see it. I hate this carry on and putting kids in at the schools and academies at the youngest eight and nine. You can't tell me that they'll be be a footballer and and want to be a footballer. Everybody and even yourself might have dreamed of being a footballer. We we'll all dream, but again, you can tell me that at seven and eight, nine, ten, eleven, that they want to be at when fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, when life changes, boys change. Attitudes change, and it's a massive thing. Attitudes, but in the past, I've seen boys which are, are absolutely brilliant 12, 13, 14, 15. People take them, I'm looking and saying they'd be best for that little laddie to go away from that environment he's in. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fantastic to have you on the Barclays Premier League podcast and to hear all your stories. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pat. Thank you very much and good luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, Brian says there are no characters in the game these days. I think Brian's certainly a character. But looking back to greatest influences growing up, who was yours, Matt? Well, I was a Villa fan, so in football terms, I looked at the Villa side of the late 70s and the early 80s, the European Cup winning side, Peter Weir and Gary Shaw and Jimmy Rimmer in goal. So they were my footballing heroes and my grandfather was the first one to take me to games. I was on the Holt end of Villa as a four-year-old and they used to drive me to games and you know they're really special memories. That's the first love of, of arriving on the, the stand and looking at the green pitch and just hoping that one day you might be down there and obviously being lucky enough eventually to fulfil that dream. Well we want you to tweet us your stories at Barclays Footy with a Y with the hashtag YouAreFootball or you can post your stories onto the Barclays Football Facebook site. Who was your greatest sporting influence growing up? Now, Liverpool's Merseyside neighbours Everton continue their good run of form with a hard-fought 2-1 win over Hull at Goodison Park. It wasn't the most emphatic of displays from your old club, Matt, but a victory vital and keeps them up there in seventh place. And they're going along really nicely, certainly in transition. I know that the winning goal has obviously raised 
a few question marks because it was essentially a long ball goal, which Roberto is not a great advocate of, but he does like winning football matches and I'm sure he'll forgive the boys for that. I think he might just. Well, let's hear from the match winner, Stephen Pienaar, who netted just 10 seconds after coming off the bench. It was a lucky touch, but uh, at the end of the day it went in and I'm, I'm happy we got all three points. After the last seven weeks, it was something that I worked hard for and and pay off. Get a few minutes uh, just to get used to the tempo of the game again. But uh, yeah, like I said, to get a goal and a win as well, it's uh, something uh, I'm really happy about. Well, that was quite an impact. But just how important is he to the side now that he's back from injury? Very important because he's a player that likes to move the ball through those midfield areas, can take up clever positions, combines fantastically well with Leighton Baines down that left-hand side. But as he's shown there, it has important goals in him as well. A couple of questions for you on Gareth Barry. Was he offside for the Morales goal? I.e., do you think that he touched it on the way in? I think he was offside. Technically, I can see why it wasn't given. It's one of those controversial grey areas. So some go against you, some go for you. So in that respect... They've got away with it. I thought he was lucky with his tackles. I think on another day he could quite easily have been given two yellow cards uh, and would have been off the pitch. But they are the ups and downs of football and, and this time it went for Everton. There's a tweet afterwards from Romelu Lukaku who said, Good win for us today. It was hard, but great team performance. On to the next game. Thank you for your support. As for Hull, it was their first defeat in five matches, but they remain in the top half of the table after promotion in the summer. They were unlucky not to get anything out of this match, do you reckon? Yes, I think they all feel that way. Although probably by their own admission, they've had games that they've ended up getting something out of that maybe they didn't deserve. So they're doing really well. I think they can consolidate from this point. I think they'd have been absolutely delighted to be on 11 points after eight games. They've got a good squad. They've got a good togetherness. Steve Bruce very positive in all of his interviews and they're doing absolutely fine. Well, finally, we round off our weekend review at the Britannia Stadium where Stoke and West Brom played out an uneventful, frankly, nil-nil draw. And the Baggies manager, Steve Clark felt his team did more than enough to leave with all three points. The game was competitive, but I think the, the more clear-cut chances were certainly ours. And you know when you go away from home and the, the home goalkeepers voted man of the match by, I think, everybody in the stadium. It tells you that you've been the better team on the day. So Stoke will be grateful to their goalkeeper and, and we are customer luck. And so obviously it's disappointing. We should be leaving here with three points, but we'll take the hard-earned one. Well, Asmir Begovic was one of the key players in that match, the Stoke City goalkeeper, as was Stefan Sessegnon, who might well have beaten him. Well, yeah, it's his job to keep them out, but he came off the back of a fantastic week where... He'd gone with Bosnia-Herzegovina to the World Cup. So amazing from a football point of view for him and he was absolutely excellent on the day. Stoke City have now failed to win in the last five league games. They've scored just one goal in that time. And I think that last line there probably proves where they're falling down. They have a, an England striker, ex-England striker, in Peter Crouch available, but he hasn't been picking him. Why do you think that is? Well, managers see players on a daily basis. They see their return in training. They get to gauge their fitness levels. So very hard to second guess You know the people who are in and around the clubs all of the time. I think Stoke have been in this position really for a number of years now where they're really well run, they've got a good squad of players, but it's just how they develop to go on to that next level, just to come out of the Tony Pulis way of playing, as it were, to develop into something that Mark Hughes is trying to make them. Well, they have a certainly fascinating fixture up next, away to Manchester United. Mark Hughes taking his current club back to his old club. That's a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Elsewhere in the lunchtime kickoff, Crystal Palace struggling like mad at the moment against Arsenal, who absolutely or not they're flying Liverpool at home to West Bromwich Albion 
Norwich at home to Cardiff. Aston Villa, your side, at home to your former side, Everton. In the evening kickoff on Saturday, Southampton versus Fulham, who've just won their last two games in a row. On Sunday, Sunderland at home to Newcastle. What an enormous fixture that is in the lunchtime kickoff, followed by Tottenham against Hull. Swansea City are at home to West Ham United. And Chelsea, one of the title contenders against fellow title contender Manchester City. Now, if you can, Matt, try and pick just one or two out of that lot. Well, I think the two games on the Sunday, the time where Derby, always a colossal fixture, but the way Sunderland are at the moment, it's got huge importance for them. And any time two heavyweights come together, Chelsea against Manchester City also on Sunday at four o'clock should be a phenomenal game. Now I'm going to ask you some questions. I'd like you to give me oh, some dear. very, very brief answers, OK? Can struggling Palace take any points off Arsenal, who are frankly flying? No. That was quick. Can West Brom maintain their unbeaten away record when they go to Anfield? Also no. Two words. Will Manchester United keep a first clean sheet in five games against Stoke? Yes. Can Sunderland get their first win of the season in the huge northeast derby on Sunday? No, because I think the pressure will be too much for them. And finally, can Manuel Pellegrini's Manchester City side inflict a first ever league defeat at Stamford Bridge for manager Jose Mourinho? Yes, but they'd have to play exceptionally well to do it. Won't quite yes or no, but that'll do for us. Why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy with a Y. Thanks so much for your company, Matt. Before we go, have a go at this week's trivia teaser. Steven Gerrard's strike for Liverpool at St James's Park this weekend was his 100th Barclays Premier League goal for the club. We want you to tell us which player has provided the most assists for Gerrard's goals. That's a tricky one. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal the answers on the site later on in the week. We'll be back next week to cast our eye over another weekend of top flight action, including a must-win match for David Moyes' Manchester United at home to Stoke, a huge northeast derby between Sunderland and Newcastle, and a top-of-the-table clash between Chelsea and Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. But until then, from Matt Jackson and from me, Jackie Oatley, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Barclays.